A year ago almost today, the leadership team of Witness at the Border and I engaged with Gerline Joseph, Executive Director of the Haitian Bridge Alliance, to discuss Title 42 and its tragic ramifications on the lives of Haitian families driven into the global diaspora as a result of environmental disasters, political corruption, economic collapse, and gang violence. If you've never heard of Title 42, I'm not surprised. It's a super obscure part of the United States Health Code. Now everyone's talking about it, or they should be. And in this podcast, we aim to find out why. Title 42 allows an administration to turn somebody back if they've come from a contiguous border where there's an outbreak of some communicable disease. Evil genius Stephen Miller hacked that to make it seem like the coronavirus could be stopped at a border when, in fact, he was stopping people. He was stopping the right of asylum. Title 42 became Trump's real wall, what our special guest Gerlene Joseph calls an invisible wall, that for now over a year has led to the forced expulsion of hundreds of thousands of the world's most vulnerable people, including small children and tiny babies. Even experts from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control couldn't convince Trump and co. that closing the border to only certain individuals would keep Americans safe from the coronavirus. The Haitian Bridge Alliance, in collaboration with the Quixote Center, had just issued a report called Title 42, The Invisible Wall. And at the time, I remember thinking and hoping that both report and podcast could be obsolete within weeks, because it was then still early days for the Biden administration, and we still had great faith in his and VP Harris's campaign promises to bring more humanity to the U.S. southern border. Trump and co. brandished Title 42 in theory against the specter of COVID-19, But what they really used it for was to stem the flow of people entering the United States. Regrettably, the Biden administration continues to use this dubious provision to regulate migration as well. Now here we are, a very eventful year later, and the border is open to everyone but those seeking protection. Here we are with more Haitians having been expelled, not deported, but expelled, in a single year than during the three previous presidencies combined. That's more than 20,000 Haitians seeking protection, shackled, put onto planes, and dropped back into a burning house. Because of Title 42, they were not allowed to ask for protection, and thus they were denied due process under U.S. and international law. This makes our now one-year-old podcast as fresh as ever. So Gerline and I decided we'd bring it back on the occasion of the two-year anniversary of Trump and co. hacking a little-known section of our public health code to close the border to those, as our Haitian brothers and sisters say, qui cherchent la vie, that are in search of life. We are joined in this endeavor by Carrie Kennedy, president of Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights and daughter of the late great social justice warrior, who, among other things this past year, bestowed upon Gerline the 2021 RFK Human Rights Award for her fearless advocacy on behalf of Black immigrants and immigrant justice. Gerline embodies my father's legacy. She is a warrior and a true servant of others. At RFK Human Rights, we believe those closest to the problem 
are closest to the solution. And no one is closer to the challenge of the crucible of immigration, poverty, and race in the United States than Guerlaine Joseph. For Guerlaine, this fight is not an abstract policy decision. She is on the ground, in the camps, in the courts, on the front line. We hope you'll enjoy this recast of Witness Radio podcast episode number one, Title 42, The Invisible Wall. Witness Radio. Good afternoon, family, wherever you are right now. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Tom. Josh, thank you so much for setting up the mood and the table for us to share today. In order for us to really understand the effect of Title 42 on Black migrants, I will just go back to tell, to give you a little bit of backstories of who those people are, where they are coming from, and how they made their way to the U.S.-Mexico border. In the case of Haiti, we remember in 2010, the earthquake that happened, killing over 250,000 people that day, leaving close to 3 million people completely in Chambol. The complete infrastructure of the country crumbled, leaving behind a disaster. As part of a humanitarian program, folks left Haiti and migrated to Brazil. And they were there for about five years. They have built with, you know, manual labor for the Olympics, for the for the World Cups and all of that. But unfortunately, the economy of Brazil collapsed and the political turmoil started. And imagine those people, those survivors of the earthquake who migrated to Brazil now are forced again to live in search of life. Those people made their way by foot from Brazil, crossing the entire South and Central America to come to the US-Mexico border to ask for asylum. Fortunately, a lot of people were released on humanitarian parole. And with that, they were able to procure social security. They were able to procure work authorization. They were able to at least have a shot at life while they continue their immigration case in the United States. Under the Trump administration, what he dubbed catch and release instead of calling it what it was, we saw at that time people were no longer being released. People were being put in immigration prisons and the majority of them have been deported, leaving behind what we saw and what we call the beginning of family separation at the U.S.-Mexico border, where 99% of the time, the father, the partner, the husband will be deported, leaving part of the family behind. And then we saw a second group of Haitians who started migrating from Chile due to anti-Black racism that started to really, really affect their lives. And the stories that we heard are extremely heartbroken. They then too were forced to look for life. And then the last flow of Haitians we saw arriving were people who were in Venezuela for the past 20, 30 years who escaped political turmoil 30 years before that, now having to flee again. So when we are thinking about the border issue, when you are thinking about the Black migrants at the issue, and from Haiti in particular, these people have been in transit for 10 years. Wow. 
right? And now we see people from Cameroon who are fleeing armed conflicts that were forced upon them because of the remnant of colonization. When we see the Anglophone fighting the Francophone, the mentality from the former colonizers dividing a people. And we see them having to flee, having to literally flee for their lives, making the journey from Africa to the Americas to come to the border to ask for asylum. We see people from Eritrea, from Angola, from, from the Congo, you name it, we've seen it. And we at the Haitian British Alliance, what we say and what is true for us is that we went to the border because they told us they were Haitians. But when we arrived, we saw people from all of those different countries, including people from Guatemala, from Honduras, from Cuba, and also a lot of Mexicans trying to find a better life. So we went for the Haitians, but we stayed for everyone else. I think it's important that people know that our immigration detention complex that we're saddled with today began with an influx of Haitian immigrants four decades ago. The Carter administration adopted detention then when we really didn't have a detention system after World War II. And they did it specifically to send a message to Haitians that they weren't welcome, thus kicking off the criminalization of immigration, which has expanded and expanded and expanded from president to president, no matter the political party. Trump destroyed asylum with Title 42, but he expanded for-profit detention and deportation. Thank you, sister, for sharing that. The unwanted Haitians were locked up in cages in Guantanamo Bay, in Homestead, and create a system that we see continues to destroy lives in these United States of ours. People like myself from the Caribbean, double whammy, not only are we descendants of slaves, we are also immigrants, right? And understanding that our immigration status does not protect us. And we see how they have weaponized Title 42. They have used it as a trap for literally destroying lives. When we see people getting stuck and there is no plan, there's no direction on what they need to do, they become prey, getting misinformation, bad information. The coyotes are using that to then use those people and put them in danger. Understanding when it comes to Black migrants or Haitians and Africans that are coming to the border, unfortunately for them, unfortunately for us, Traveling in this black body is a target. So we, they cannot blend into the Mexican society like our members from South and Central America. The moment a black person is seen, they know for a fact that this person is a migrant. So therefore the abuse starts and the abuse continues. I had the great honor of accompanying Guerlain to bear witness to the rampant human rights abuses that occurred this past September in Del Rio, Texas. In Del Rio, we saw tents made of bamboo poles sheathed in abandoned cardboard and skirts and t-shirts. We saw dads holding infants and moms cradling toddlers, women and men who risked everything because of their belief in the promise and compassion of our great country. Yet, 
instead of the love and humanism that is the best of America, these people were met with extreme violence and militarization, tanks, guns, and law enforcement SUVs, some emblazoned with white supremacist symbols. Haitian asylum seekers and families were trapped in an encampment with limited access to food, water, and life-saving medical care. Children were chased by officers on horseback. Women were forced to give birth under the bridge. When hospitals and clinics were just a mile away, people drowned trying to cross the Rio Grande to find food for their starving children. We should all be appalled by the conditions facing our Haitian sisters and brothers and other black migrants at the U.S. southern border. I can share one example with you of a family that was deported, that was expelled a couple of weeks ago. And I spoke with the woman and it was extremely painful for me to just listen to her, to listen to her story. She shared with me that she was raped, kidnapped and raped in 2016, brutally raped. She barely escaped and fled. She and her husband went to Chile where they experienced grave racism to the point where they themselves were attacked. So again, they were forced to leave Chile and come to the U.S.-Mexico border. They were at the U.S.-Mexico border for a year and a half where she ended up giving birth to their child. When they entered, when they crossed to the United States, they were taken in with the five-month-old baby. She shared that once she was captured, detained, for 10 days without access to any type of hygiene. No shower, no toothbrush, no toothpaste, no soap. Not even the opportunity for her to change her clothes. Now imagine a woman with an infant in those conditions. And she shared with me that every morning between four and 5 a.m., she gets awakened to come for breakfast. The breakfast is the same as lunch, it's the same as dinner. It's a bean burrito. And one morning, when they came and asked her to come get breakfast, she pled with the people, can I please let my baby sleep? Because it is too early. It is chilly outside, it is cold. The baby is sleeping, can I leave the baby there? They told her no. And she said, please, they said, no, if you do not want to bring the baby, we will drag the baby out for you. So she mustered all of her strength and got the baby out to the cold. And she also shared that the baby actually sold her diaper and the diaper leaked into the baby's clothes and into her clothes. When she asked for an opportunity to change the baby's clothes, they refused. When she had asked for an opportunity to change her clothes, they refused. For four days, the baby stayed in the soil clothes and she stayed in the soil clothes. And what is the most humiliating part of it? She got packed into this flight and deported in the same clothes that she was wearing for 10 days. And currently, 
because as I mentioned, she had to escape for her life after being kidnapped and raped, she is currently in hiding. Afraid that if people know that she is back, they will come back and they will kill her, her husband, and now her newborn baby. So this is the reality that we are seeing, that we are experiencing and seeing how we continue the same system that we were fighting for under Trump continued today. What Title 42 does in practice is deny the right to seek asylum. The right to seek asylum is deeply embedded in U.S. law since the U.S. Refugee Act of 1980, which was passed, by the way, within the context, in part, of the first Haitian influxes of that decade. It's a right which is required under international law, international law to which the U.S. is a party and is equally obligated. And so what the U.S. is doing, the U.S. government, is violating both U.S. law and international law by insisting on continuing to use Title 42 as a systematic mechanism of exclusion against persons who are entitled to seek asylum under those frameworks. Del Rio proved what many of us already know, that the U.S. immigration system is steeped in anti-Black racism. In the six months that have passed since Del Rio, there have been no accountability for the thousands of Haitians who were abused and summarily expelled with no access to the legal relief they are entitled to under U.S. and international law. Instead, the United States government has continued to forcibly return Haitians on over 200 expulsion flights and return to imminent danger and risk of death, including pregnant women, young children, and infants. The justification for this abuse is Title 42, the draconian Trump-era policy that has used public health as a guise to close the border to desperate asylum seekers. I just want to put in perspective 20,000 families that doesn't even fill the Dallas Convention Center for a basketball game. And we understand that the current administration have inherited a broken system. We understand that there is a bottleneck at the, at the border, the result of four years of complete cruelty under Trump. And we say yes, yes, we understand. But Mr. President, something can be done. We can no longer allow Title 42 to be used as a weapon, to be used as a trap for those most vulnerable of all asylum seekers. So the invisible wall that we speak of, it is not so invisible for those who are suffering, for those who have been at the border for the past four years. This invisible wall that we are speaking about, it is not so invisible for those in search of life. And the amazing unintended consequence of tearing families apart by accepting their children, but not accepting the adults. So we're gonna let them across and their parents we're going to allow to starve and we're gonna allow their hearts to break. As, as many of us stood on the other side of the bridge in Matamoros, the other side from Brownsville 
and watched parents in paroxysms of grief as they send their children up over the middle of that bridge to the other side. It is a disaster. It is a tragedy. It is immoral. It is horrible. We're not seeing a, a wave of new racism. What we're seeing is racism that we didn't see before. I'm glad we're seeing it now. It's the first step to stopping it. When we spoke a year ago this month, we had hoped and borderline believed that Title 42 will have been rescinded. As you mentioned, because we also believed in a more humane approach from President Biden, which has been proven to be the opposite, because we see clearly how um, they have doubled down and redoubled their effort to use Title 42 to destroy the lives of people who are seeking protection. Um, to date, over 20,000 people have been deported under the watch of President Biden and Vice President Harris. We are extremely disappointed, extremely frustrated because that is not what was promised and also because it is unnecessary for us to continue the use of Title 42, to continue to criminalize people who are in search of safety and at the same time refuse to look into root causes of Haitian migration, for example, in understanding the cruelty that is rooted in anti-Black racism as yeah. a part of our system here in the United States. And also at the same time, understanding clearly by expelling 20,000 people to, to, to Haiti, that includes pregnant women and babies, children as young as just a few days old. And, and also looking back into the Invisible Wall report that clearly stated the danger that people had to go through mm -hmm. in search of life, what we say, Shashilavi, in search of life. In, in addition to that, understanding by expelling 20,000 people to Haiti contribute to the destabilization mm -hmm. of the country. Mm. And understanding that this is a clear and classic case of external violence mm -hmm. that then will continue to increase internal violence in the country. Right. Um, and also really have to understand when it comes to the mobility of Black people, mm -hmm. when it comes to migration of Black people, there is no safe space for us. And that's why we cannot disconnect immigration issues from the civil rights issues, from the labor rights issues, because they are connected. Right. And if people don't believe that they are connected, I will tell them again, this morning I woke up a black woman 
I also woke up an immigrant. Uh -huh. I woke up a Haitian national and I woke up an American citizen. Right. I cannot divide and I cannot disconnect those realities. Right. That reality that meets between within every single black immigrant or uh -huh. every single person who has an immigrant parent, the black immigrant community literally holds 20% of the vote of Black America. So that is something anybody who's looking into the midterm, anybody who's looking into 2024, need to understand by deporting 20,000 people to Haiti. And not even deporting them, expelling them. Expelling them. Each one of those people had a family, a sponsor, who might be an American citizen, whose vote we need. Also, people like me. I'm appalled at what this administration has done. It has not been more humane. It's just put a smile on the inhumanity. Yes, you know, Sarah... I the reality is the bottleneck at the border that was created by, by Trump administration and, 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 and his inhumane and cruelty and all of that. And then uh, we have the Biden administration sprinkling, you know, flowers and thinking we will forget that we are literally standing yeah. on that and be dis dis disrupted by the little flowers they put on top. We voted, and I'm not speaking on behalf of Haitian Bridge Alliance right now. This is Gerlin speaking. My voting, my knocking on doors, my making calls was because I believed in the idea, in the hope of saving the soul of America. I believed in the idea of building better. For Black migrants, it's not building back because nothing were ever built for Black people in this country but hoping that together we could build better. There's another 20% of the voter base, and that's, yes. that's the craziest. Which is absurd. They will never get those votes. They'll they never to, get those votes. They need to mind their base because, because what, they, what you just mentioned, which seems to be the reality, is that going after something you will never get. Pleasing... A, a, a group of people that will never, never comes to you. Never. While you are neglecting your, you know, the, the votes that will actually get you to the next level. So I, I think that that is a major miscalculation and a major for the administration. And, and, and there's still time. There's still time for them to make the necessary changes. There's still time to correct the wrongs. Tell us about this lawsuit. Uh, yes, so uh, to hold um, the administration accountable for what we all watched in horror um, in the Rio in September, 2021, and to make sure that this never happens again. It doesn't happen to Haitians. It doesn't happen to Mexicans. It doesn't happen to Ukrainian. It doesn't happen to anyone who are fleeing and, and needing protection. Uh, whether it is Trump or Biden, 
uh, we must hold our elected officials, our uh, leaders accountable when they do not uphold uh, dignity and human life and human rights. So uh, we, we did file uh, a lawsuit uh, with um, 11 plaintiffs, including the gentleman we all saw in that picture, who mm -hmm. unfortunately was abused alongside 14,000 other people. And so it's really um, to, to, to make sure that they are not forgotten because clearly um, the administration have tried very hard to erase their presence, erase their realities, erase their narratives by expelling them as fast as they, they possibly could and erase the evidence of what they had suffered under the bridge. Um, standing in solidarity and, and, and bringing justice to where justice is due mm -hmm. and hopefully bring those 11 plaintiffs to proceed with their cases as mm -hmm. they are representing not just themselves, but all the other people who were with them um, in the Rio, those who were expelled under Title 42 or those who were pushed back to Mexico mm -hmm. uh, uh, at the same time. I mean, the lives that have been lost will never be able to 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 really understand um, how immense it has been. So we will never be able to to really get um, to a place where we where we will see that this is not a legacy of President Biden, but there are steps that he and his in his administration can take to to make things better because because his promise was to save the soul of america his right. promise was to build back better mm -hmm. but you still see the prejudice against black people even mm -hmm. when it comes to war and people trying to find safety together right for me the call to president Biden in his administration is to do the right thing and starting by ending Title 42, mm -hmm. stop deportation, provide safety and protection through TPS for Cameroon and other people who are in search of safety, mm -hmm. um, welcoming people with dignity and really and really trying to bring a humane way to undo the evil that was done by the previous administration mm -hmm. and by him, honestly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On March 12th, the Biden administration took a step in the right direction, excluding unaccompanied minor children from Title 42. The same logic and humanity must now be applied to all individuals at the U.S. border. In order to realign ourselves with foundational principles of international humanitarian and U.S. law, we must welcome all asylum seekers through an equitable process that upholds the human and civil rights of those seeking protection. I'd like to see the asylum system come back up, but I'd like to see a different view altogether of migration and our responsibilities 
to allow people to move to places where they can live. When our vice president is a first generation woman of black ancestry, when we witness having the first black president who himself, his father, is from Kenya. So I have a way of hope that we, as American citizens, will hold our elected officials accountable. We will pressure President Biden. We will force Vice President uh, Harris. We will hold the feet of Secretary Mayorkas into the fire to make the changes. You heard her, peeps. And now we need your help. Title 42 is being renegotiated right now. We could end this abomination by April 1st. If you take to the socials, tag President Biden, VP Harris, Secretary Mayorkas, everybody you can think of, call your members of Congress, write letters, send postcards, send emails, whatever it takes. Tell them, end Title 42 now. And while they're at it, we need TPS for Cameroon. Go. My special thanks to Carrie Kennedy for contributing to this podcast. And of course, to Sister Gerline. Thanks for helping me to recast this podcast about Title 42, the invisible border wall. I'm sorry we had to do it, but it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much. And if you're able to support them, please do so. They are doing critical, critical work, making sure that people stay informed, making sure that people are aware, making sure that all of those different pieces come together. Remember to go to Patreon and hear how it starts and contribute and become part of it. An exciting addition to our way of reaching the world. And who knows who we might reach next. So keep making noise, keep looking, keep witnessing. Thank you. Thanks and gratitude to Gerline, Josh, Tom, Camilo, and to you, our listeners, for joining us to unpack the wicked truths lurking behind the invisible wall of Title 42. I'm Sarah Towell, host and director of Witness Radio, where we aim to discuss all the issues plaguing the U.S. immigration system today. This is why we witness. Like our page, Witness at the Border, on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Visit our website and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you here, there, and everywhere. Witness Radio is produced by Livia Brock.